I'm turning over to Romans chapter 5 this morning. Romans chapter 5. We've been here, of course, for a number of weeks. Last week, we dealt with verse number 11, just a single verse, and we dealt with a topical message in some regard, simply entitled, Joy in God. Today begins a section of Scripture from verse, 20, from verse 12 down through verse 21 that not only lays the foundation of man's condition, but it also lays out the condition of our justification or how we are redeemed. In verses 12 through 21, I'm going to give you kind of an overview before we read some of the text. In verses 12 through 21, the design of this text is to show us or show man how we came to be in the condition of sin, depravity, and our inability. In other words, why did that happen? How did it happen? What was the cause of it? Number two, it'll be to compare two heads. What I mean by that is the head of Adam and the head of Christ. God sees all men in Adam as their head and their representative. This is a, this is a truth that we need to consider this morning. As Adam's descendants and all of us, all mankind, we are Adam's descendants. Because we're Adam's descendants, we are under sin. To be under sin means that we were under condemnation, we are under the wrath of God, and the evidence of that is our physical death. Death is the sign or the wages of what sin requires. God sees all men in Adam, but God also sees the believer in Christ. In other words, Christ is our head and he is our representative. In Christ, we are redeemed. We live in him. In Adam, we're dead. In Christ, there is life. In Adam is death. Here's what's interesting. All men were in Adam. That means death reigned upon all men. All men die. But in Christ, we live. In Adam, we lost the way, we lost the truth, ultimately we lost the life. In Christ, we find the way, the truth, and the life. We've dealt with that at length already this morning, earlier. Now go with me to the text there in Romans 5 and look at verse number 12. He says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned at the dissimilitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ." Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul deals with heavy subjects. Uh, this is, would classify as a weighty subject. We're dealing with sin. We're dealing with death. We're dealing with grace. We're dealing with righteousness. We're dealing with justification. But to simplify it all, we're dealing with the reality of what did the sin of Adam do to mankind? And on the flip side, what did Christ do as a remedy for that? The title this morning is simply Justified in Christ, Condemned in Adam. 
Justified in Christ, condemned in Adam. That title tells us really the summary of what we're dealing with. Justification is in Christ. Condemnation is in Adam. Here's the bad news. All are in Adam. The Bible told us that we're all in Adam, which means all have sinned. All are subject to death. But yet in Christ, we have justification. There's a quote from a man, some of you might be familiar with him. He's not as familiar with many people. His name is Charles Hodge. And this is a quote, and I want to read this. I don't share quotes often, but this really drives home kind of a summary statement of what we're looking at this morning. The sin of Adam did not make the condemnation of all men merely possible. It was the ground of their actual condemnation. So the righteousness of Christ did not make the salvation of men merely possible. It secured the actual salvation of those for who he wrought. There's really two important things Hodge says in that quote. He first of all says that Adam's sin did not make condemnation of you and I or all men possible. Adam's sin is actually the ground of our condemnation. In other words, we are condemned in Adam. Simply put, Adam's sin did not just make our condemnation possible. Adam's sin is the very ground of our actual condemnation. In Adam, all men are subject to death. Now, what this does not mean is that because Adam sinned, you would have done differently. Adam is referred to as a head or a type. On the flip side, Christ is also a head or a type, and we're going to get into that this morning. So I need us, church, to really think today. I need us to really consider and to focus on what God is trying to tell us, because this is a weighty and a very meaty subject we're dealing with today. Charles Hodge is exactly right in what he's saying here. His summary statement really gives the whole outline of what Paul is writing about. Now, I realize today Charles Hodge is, is just a man. He was a theologian. He has thoughts. There are, there are commentators that might disagree, but I believe that Charles Hodge is giving us the biblical outline of what this is actually teaching. But even further, I believe the Apostle Paul is giving us the proper interpretation of this. The Apostle Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Charles Hodge simply wrote as a man who studied the Word of God, but his work's not inspired. Everyone following me? Paul's Word is inspired. So we can take Hodge's quote, we can think about it and consider it that Adam's sin did not just make condemnation possible. The actual sin of Adam is the ground of our actual condemnation. But that also the righteousness of Christ did not make salvation of men possible. Christ literally is the actual salvation for those in whom he died. Adam is a type. Adam is a type of Christ only in reverse. And I'm going to say something more about that in just a moment. The only way that Adam typified Christ was as the head of a race. Adam is differentiated by being the head of the human race. That's why we say all of us have descended from Adam. You say, I don't want to be related to Adam. Too bad. You're related. He, he, and I'm not trying to be irreverent this morning, but he's, he's not uh, someone that you can disown like a family member that you no longer want to have anything to do with. Is, I'm not related to them. You cannot disassociate yourself with Adam. You're in Adam whether you want to be in Adam or not. Okay? So in Adam, all men have sinned. We've, we are all guilty. What was, Adam's, what was Adam guilty of? He was guilty of sin. He is a representative head of the entire human race. Now, I had Evan read. Now, let's, let's turn over there again because there's a couple statements that are in that text that I want us to look at again. I had him read that today so that we would kind of set the, the stage for what we're looking at this morning. Uh, we're not going to read it all again, but look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45 again, okay? And there's a lot of words in there. He did a great job getting through those words of earthy and heavenly. It's, it's hard to read those things. But look again at verse 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit, 
that was not first, which is spiritual. Now that's a reference to Adam, which was first, Adam was not spiritual, but that which is natural and afterward that which is spiritual. That's a reference back to verse 45. The first man, that's Adam, is of the earth. And this is profound, earthy, right? The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, Adam, such are they also that are earthy. Guess what? You're earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, to be born means to be made in the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. All right? Here you have Paul in Corinthians. He's describing this compare and contrast between Adam and the Lord, or Adam and Christ. In Adam, we're all earthy. In Christ, heavenly, bearing the image of the heavenly. So you have Adam as this typifying Christ only in the regard of being the head of a race, the human race. What makes you connected to Adam is your humanity. Okay, so how are you related to Adam? You're earthy. You're human. All of you human, right? <laughs> Not so sure, are you? All of us are in Adam. Okay, I'm going to try to do what I can to simplify this. We, we, are, we, are, uh, we are in Adam. So what we think about this morning and what we consider today is our belief, our Christianity... There has to be an understanding that Adam was a literal, historical individual. If we refuse to acknowledge Adam, Romans 5 makes absolutely, positively no sense at all. So if Adam was not an actual human, let's just put it this way. If Adam was just an a allegory, or an illustration, that there was no real Adam. Romans 5 completely falls apart. Okay? Romans 5 would have no purpose for us. We would, we would sit back and say, why in the world did Paul write Romans 5 about this Adam who wasn't even real? He was just, he was just a, an object lesson. And why would he have written 1 Corinthians 15 when he mentions Adam and earthy and spiritual and heavenly? We've got to understand today, when we talk about Adam, we're talking about a literal, human, historical individual. Adam actually lived. Now, for believers, you're saying, well, preacher, that's kind of one of those moments where, why are you saying that? Because there is a, an attack on the Word of God today to allegorize or to make everything just a picture of something, not a literal individual or situation. Basic Bible interpretation means we take the Bible literally. In other words, we read it literally. If we read about Adam, we're reading about an actual human. We're not reading about a, a, an allegory or we're not reading about a supposition. In Adam, as a human, earthy, we all received our condemnation. You say, I don't want to be an Adam. You're in Adam because you're human. You're earthy. As we think about this today, this is how we make sense of Romans 5. He's been dealing with justification. He's been dealing with all of these wonderful things, how that Christ died for the ungodly. And it's almost as if he saved what could have gone first. But Paul, as he often did, he would write he would give the explanation, and then he would go back and fill in the blanks. That's what he's doing here in Romans 5. In other words, Romans, 5 chapter, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse number 1, he could have started off with verse number 12 and said, Wherefore, by his one man, sin entered into the world. But it's as if he gives the blessings of justification before he explains where we were before the blessings. Is that making sense? He's explaining where we were before the blessings came. So look at verse 12 now. I have no idea how far we'll get with this today. All right, we're, gonna, we're, we're going to be very diligent and we're going to be very specific about this. 
I think this is a, this is a missing piece of many churchgoers today. Children are being taught in their Sunday school classes that the whole purpose of Adam and Eve was the eating of the fruit. Adam is much more of a representative than just a disobedient sinner. It is literally the fall of mankind. In Adam, all men fell. Our condemnation... Your condemnation, not to mean that your own sin doesn't condemn you, but our, our literal fall came when Adam went against God's command. Your literal fall. That's why I am so burdened. I am so burdened by watered down Bible stories to children because if that's what you're teaching them, literally the first time you talk about Adam and Eve, you're talking about literally the whole basis of man's need of a savior is found in Adam's fall. Now look at verse 12 again. He says, wherefore, now again, wherefore is a connecting word. We talked about receiving the joy in God and receiving the atonement last week. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The one man, sin entered into the world, that one man is Adam. You could write in your Bible, wherefore, as by Adam, sin entered into the world. Sin entered into the world, and what was the result of sin entering into the world? Death. By Adam's sin... Sin entered, or Adam's transgression, let me use that term because that'll help us separate these thoughts. By Adam's transgression, sin entered into this world. As the human representative, the sin of Adam has been imputed, placed into the account of everyone who is earthy, everyone who is, who is human. What does that entail? What are the results of sin? Spiritual death, physical death, darkness, disease, and you are declared to be the enemy of God. Now, based on Adam's sin in verse number 12, how many men did that result or consequence enter into? All men. So guess what? Today, all of us in Adam faced spiritual death, physical death, darkness, disease, and declared to be the enemy of God. It entered into all men. When Adam sinned and fell, I get this, here's where people want to scream and say, this isn't fair. When Adam fell and Adam sinned, we all sinned and we all fell. And that's where the human mind reasons and says, why am I held responsible for the sin of Adam? Because Adam is a representation or the head of the entire human race. Now, in a moment, you're going to see why that's a glorious truth, because Jesus Christ is the head of that which is heavenly. Okay, he doesn't leave us in Adam. If I stopped right there and said, guess what, folks, you're all in Adam, Enjoy your Sunday. You'd have nothing to enjoy. Because if you're left in Adam, that's all you have to look forward to. Spiritual death, physical death, darkness, disease, you're an enemy of God. When Adam fell, sin was not only imputed or placed into the account of us, but our, the nature of sin was imparted into us. Where does my sin nature come from? It comes from the fall of Adam. It comes from being in Adam. Now, David, on a number of occasions, wrote about this sin nature. Go to Psalm 51, and if you're, if you're turning pages by Psalm 51 and you see it, stop at Psalm 58, because we're going to come right there too. But look at Psalm 51, and then be ready to move to Psalm 58. Psalm 51 is a psalm of repentance. It's a psalm of confession. David makes a statement in that psalm 
that really begins, and it's at the heart of a big controversy, even in our Baptist churches today. Psalm 51, 5, David says this, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, that phrase, shapen in iniquity and sin, conceive me, is not a statement about the actions leading to his mother's pregnancy. All right? Do you believe me when I say there are people that that's what they, how they interpret this text? They say that's speaking of David's mother and that she was in sin when she conceived him and all the actions that led up to that. No, this is actually the spiritual condition that David possessed now hold on to your pew, in the womb. Someone says, children are born innocent. No, not according to Scripture, they're not. How can they be held responsible for something when they're in the womb? Because they're in Adam. Now there's nothing more precious than a baby being born. There's, there is a, I was at both of my children's births, being, and there is nothing like it. But if you have the idea that you're looking and you're saying that child is born in such innocency, not according to Scripture. According to Scripture, they are born in this condition. It's a spiritual condition. It refers back to the fall of man. The fall of Adam literally has corrupted all people even from their youngest days. And by the way, we believe life starts in the womb. I don't normally do this, but that's an amen right there. Life doesn't start after the child is born. That child, that is a life. From the very smallest cell, that child is in sin. There's a lot we could say about that on another topic. We'll leave that alone for now. David says of himself, in the womb, I was in iniquity, in sin. Now we understand, none of us would argue, probably say, well, sure, David's mother had sin. But we have a real hard problem of saying, but what about the child? David's not just talking about his mother's actions. He's talking about literally in the womb, I was a sinner. Now, look at Psalm 58 and look at verse number 3 and consider this. Psalm 58, 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. The argument in our modern church that doesn't want to take Scripture as it is said, yes, those really bad people are estranged from the womb. According to Adam being our head, we are wicked. Immediately, we are estranged from the womb. To be estranged means to be alienated. If a child is estranged from their parent, they are separated from them. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Man is a sinner by nature from conception. You know why? Because we're conceived in sinful seed. That's what makes, <laughs> that's what makes the virgin birth of Christ such a glorious thing. He could not have been born just simply to the spiritual seed of Joseph and Mary. Why? Because he then would have been born in sin. That's why it's a miraculous birth, because he was born without sin. You and I can, no human being can say that. We are estranged from the womb. We are sinners by nature from conception. And our very first opportunity to speak, we speak in sin. This is where man loses sight of, well, they're just so innocent. According to the scripture, that sin did not just begin when you and I were conceived. The sin began in Adam as our head. It didn't just make our condemnation possible. The fall of Adam is our condemnation. And every single human being who has been born since then is born that way in sin. 
I hope this is, I hope this is clear. <clears throat> so Romans 5.12 really shows us death entered into the human race, became universal through one literal historical figure, Adam. The guilt of his sin, the guilt of his transgression was imputed to all those who have descended from him just by ordinary generation. Every child born at Springfield Regional today is in Adam. They're all going to have a birth certificate that's going to say the father is and the mother is, but guess what? Every one of them are descendants from Adam. And you say, well, they're not religious people. It doesn't matter. They're born to atheist parents. It doesn't matter. Whether they're born to preacher's parents or born to parents of an atheist, they're all in Adam, which means, therefore, death passed upon all men. All men have sinned in Adam. Now, this is, this is going to throw us off a little bit. In order to keep the context of where we're at, at this thought, we've actually got to do something. We've got to jump ahead to Romans 5.18. All right? You say, preacher, this is an exposition. You're skipping. Here's an example of where if you don't jump ahead and pick up here, the thought is, is going to fail us. So he says, wherefore, by one man's sin. Look at verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, that's Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. There it is, clear as a bell. By Adam's offense, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Here's what it is. Because of Adam's sin, your condemnation and every other man, woman who's ever lived, your condemnation came by the offense of one. Adam is that one. Now, again, that doesn't mean that you're innocent. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men on justification of life. Here's where Paul introduces the second head, Christ. In Adam, you received condemnation. In Christ, you receive justification. One man's sin, Adam, sin, led to judgment and condemnation for all whom he represented. Now, class, who does Adam represent? All mankind. Even you. Even me. So, and on the flip side, by one man's obedience, Christ, and by his sacrifice, brought justification, redemption, and life to all whom he represented. Here's where we're going to start really getting into murky water for a lot of people. That's why I said this is weighty. Adam represents all man. Are all people in Christ? No. So Adam is a head of the entire human race. But is it accurate to say that Christ, that all men are in Christ? No, they're not. And this is where our reasoning ability starts to take a hit because we say, wait a minute, if all men have sinned, why aren't all men in Christ? Why isn't Christ the remedy for all men who have sinned? Therein lies the grace of God. You say, preacher, why? Those are the mysteries of God that you and I are not privy to fully understand how and why that works. But here's what we do know. All that are in Christ are in Christ through what Christ did, not by what Christ made possible. Does everybody understand what that statement just was? If you are in Christ today, it's based upon what Christ did, not what he made possible. Remember, we're not in sin because Adam made sin possible. We're in sin because Adam is the very condemnation of why we're in sin. But in Christ, we also understand that in Christ does not mean that it's made possible. It is the very salvation for those in whom he died for. So when we think about the context here, Paul says, verse 12, all have sinned. Verse 18 says, one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteous of one, the free gift came upon all men on justification of life. 
For, verse 19, as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So here we have God's, God's justice here. None of you, including myself, were present physically or humanly when Adam fell. How many of you have siblings? You can actually raise your hand. How many have siblings? How many times were you blamed for something that your brother did or your sister did? How many times was it always their fault? <laughs> That's interesting. One family said it all, all the same thing. So, so it's basically, wait a minute. And here's the way it worked in my house. Oftentimes, I have one brother, and often in my house, if one got in trouble, the other one got busted too. And our favorite saying was, it wasn't me. And it, it never was me, by the way. It was always my brother. It's a little brothers. It's, the oldest are always right, right? Oldest are always, Evan agrees, see? <laughs> right, the oldest are always right, the youngest ones are always at fault. I would still get in trouble even though I didn't do it. It wasn't me. And I know it's hard to believe. Sometimes it was my fault. It wasn't. A lot of times, actually, it probably was more my fault than his. I can imagine one day if he hears this, he'll be like, yeah, right, because he'll, he'll tell you his side of the story. If I wasn't there physically, if I wasn't given the choice to either partake of this fruit or not, how in the world can God hold me responsible for something that I didn't do? Why am I being penalized for that? Well, when we were, as Christ, or as, as Adam is declared here to be the covenant head of the human race, the Bible is the, is the very book that's declaring to us, you are condemned in Adam. Because of Adam's disobedience, he failed in the requirements to satisfy God's justice. On the same token, Jesus Christ did perfectly obey. He perfectly obeyed the holy requirements and satisfied God's justice on the cross. We were in him as his seed and covenant people. Guess what? You didn't deserve Christ, but you got it anyway. You got him. See, we're always focused on the negatives. Why am I blamed with Adam, but nobody's saying, hey, why do I have to be counted with Christ? Are y'all following me? People don't want to be counted with Adam, but they all want to be counted with Christ. I want the benefits of Christ, but I don't want you to tell me that I'm like Adam. You see the difference? The thing is, you did nothing to be in Christ, and yet you got it. You can make the same argument. I wasn't there with Adam, but you're still condemned. We have this all backwards. Man likes to focus on the negative rather than focusing on the good news is contained in this. Now we could stand here today and we could dwell on Adam and our fall and we could say it's not fair. Our humanity actually would say, if I was given that choice, I wouldn't have fallen. I guarantee you would have fallen. I guarantee it. Not a one of us would have done what we were supposed to do. Not a one of us, when God said, do not eat, not one of you, as holy as you think you are, would have said, not me. You would have done as Adam. Her fault. We do it today. I sin because it's her fault. I sin because it's his fault. If you, weren't, if you weren't like you are, I would never sin. Oh, we do it all the time. It's, it's, it's sometimes you, I, folks, I know this is a serious thing, but sometimes you've got to sit back and you've got to think, wow, when God put this together... You talk about really knowing how life really was going to be. Because from the very first humans, they're still doing it today. Kids blame each other. I, I did wrong. I disobeyed because he made me do it. She made me do it. Adam makes it almost sound as if, and if it hadn't have been for this woman, I tell you what, we'd, we'd never be in this mess. And then you've got these foolish preachers standing up here, and they rail on her and say, it was her fault. She's the one that gave it to him. Where was his discernment? He knew what he was supposed to do. 
And these men stand up there and they rail on the women and they make the women feel about this big and realize, and the Bible doesn't say in Eve we die, it says in Adam we die in human, in human terms. Does that mean women are innocent? No. But let's make sure we actually say what the Bible says. Because there are men today that actually believe, well, women are worse sinners than men. The only thing I can say to that theologically is give me a break. I mean, seriously. There are pastors stand up and say, I lose my ministry because of my wife. I, lose my, I lost my effectiveness because of my wife. Nobody wants to take credit for the reality of what David said. Listen, it ain't nobody's fault. I was born that way. I was born in sin because the Bible says I was born that way. Your sin's not her fault. Your sin's not his fault. Your sin is because you are in Adam. You're earthy. There is absolutely, positively, nothing we can do to change our sin nature or our sin condition when we enter into this world. Paul, as he writes here, he says, by this disobedience. By this disobedience. Whose disobedience? The disobedience of Adam. Now, in verses 18 and 19, what Paul is doing here is he is summarizing the whole argument that links to verse 12. Literally, the parallel here between one Adam and one Christ, both are acting on behalf of others. Okay? They're acting on behalf of others. And it, the, the, the tone is this. This act is based upon as if there were no other humans in the world. In other words, if it was just Adam and just the Lord, this still would have been true. Does that make sense? This still would have been true. In other words, God did not change the plan of redemption when you and I and generations before us entered into the world. God did not say, all right, now we've got our own unique set of sin, our own unique set of circumstances. I didn't plan on that kind of guy and that kind of woman because you had already fallen. You fell at conception. You had already fallen in Adam. When we sin, we're just acting out what we are in nature. Okay? Nobody made you sin. That's your sin nature. That was imparted to you in the fall. That's what you and I received. Now notice what he says in verse 19. He says, by one man's disobedience, many were made. And then at the end of verse 19, be made. Were made and be made. It's an interesting phrase. They are important thoughts here. Adam's sin, again, this, this lines up with what Hodge said, and that's why I said I agree with Charles Hodge's quote on this. Adam's sin did not make us susceptible to sin or even lead us into sin, but by Adam's fall, we were actually made sinners. We've got this idea that because Adam did this, it made us susceptible to it. No, it actually, you were made sinners by Adam's fall. Some of you have sat in church all your life and you've never heard that. Prayerfully you have. But some, maybe not here, have never heard that. Because they think that the sin nature came on later. Now this is a touchy subject and I understand that because there's, there's things that run through my mind when we start talking about children. And, those of you that know me, and for many of you feel the same way that I do. Children, uh, the Bible says they're a gift of God. They are, they are the gift of the Lord. And it's hard for our minds to imagine how can a child who's done nothing wrong be guilty? But the Bible says it's not, the sin is not a result of what they've done. It's a result of in whom they are. They're descendants of Adam. We think as adults, when we see children, we think, look at that precious child, but you can't remember this. And if you tell me you can, I'm amazed. You can't, you can't remember your birthday, the actual day of birth. You don't remember the events of that day. You don't remember the color of the wallpaper in the delivery room. You have no idea what was going on that day. And guess what? Some parents looked at you and said, that is the most precious, innocent child I've ever seen in my life. 
Yet you, just like every baby that's born in Springfield Regional today, you were born the exact same way you were born in sin. You weren't born innocent. You say, how can God hold man accountable for something he hasn't done? There is no man who hasn't done sin. There are no innocent people. There are no innocent children. There are nothing. Nobody is born innocent. Now, again, this touches the heartstrings of every single one of you sitting here. It touches the heart of every mother. It touches the heart of every father. Because we understand you're talking about our babies. You're talking about our children. You are talking about the most precious possession in our lives, humanly speaking. Yet until we get this, that in Adam, we're all on the same level. That child that's born is no less innocent of sin than the adult parents in which he or she was born to. It's difficult. Being were made and be made. Christ's obedience on the flip side. Christ's obedience unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus Christ stretching his arms out. Jesus Christ being crowned with thorns. Jesus Christ experiencing the eternal wrath of God. What Christ did did not make you savable or enable you to be righteous before God by your own works, but by his very action, you were made righteous and sanctified entirely on the basis of what Christ did. Because if we have this idea today that what Jesus Christ did on the cross put me in a savable position, do you realize what that means? That means you have to be unlike Adam. You would be the one who broke the family tree. And you can't be. You can't be the one. I can't be the one. That's why when Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.21, I quote this verse almost, I'm not going to say to a fault because you can't quote it to a fault. But when Jesus, when, it's, when Paul says this about Jesus, he says this in, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Christ became sin for us. He didn't become a sinner as the heretic churches are preaching. He did not become a sin, a sinner. He took on the payment and the penalty of sin for us. He paid the price. The Bible says very clearly, he knew no sin. People are dabbling in this idea now, and they have been for some time. I heard a question on what should have been considered Christian radio, and it's, that's the problem with it. The Bible, they asked the question, could Christ have sinned? And as a believer, I'm not going to tell you the answer because you should know the answer to that. Could Christ have actually sinned? Could he sin? Most people who called said yes. He chose not to. I'm not going to give the answer wrong. Now that's, that's got some layers to it too. So wait a minute. Paul says about Jesus that he became something that he wasn't. He knew no sin. God charged his son, the sinless one, with the sin of his people. So that Christ was counted as a sinner, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. God counts sinners as righteous in union with Christ. It is the great exchange of the gospel. Christ took our sin, and we by grace through faith receive his righteousness. It's that simple. Sounds simple anyway, doesn't it? And then he says, moreover, the law entered, verse 20, Romans 5, that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That word moreover, or we might say, then the law came to show the evil that was in us by birth and nature. The law, Paul says, not here, but in other texts, says the law was a schoolmaster. It was to show me what I am. 
What happens when any person reads the law? What's the conclusion? They're guilty. Now, man's reasoning says, I'm not. I've never, they say things like, foolish things like, I've never lied. I've never cheated. I've never coveted. I've never committed adultery. I've never killed. But yet, the Bible says to be guilty in one is to be guilty of all. The law was given in order that we might see what we actually are. The law was never intended for man to keep it. You say, what about all the Old Testament sacrifice? What about all of that obedience? It still revealed one thing. Man could not keep it all. What does it reveal to us today? You can't keep it all. You know what the law reveals? It reveals your true nature. It reveals who you really are. If I can't keep the law, that means I'm a sinner. And guess what? There's never been a human being other than Jesus Christ who took on a robe of human flesh, never ceasing to be God, who could keep the entire law. Yet, man says, it's not right for me to be counted with Adam. Okay, well, let's backtrack this. Let's say you're not counted with Adam. You are, but let's say you're not. The law would prove you guilty. So even if you said, I'm no longer descendant of Adam. Okay, fine. The law would still declare you a sinner. Now, I'm giving you a hypothetical because it's not possible. Just like you can disown a family member, but you will always be related, right? You can say, I, 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 don't, I don't have a brother. If you have a brother by birth, or you have a brother, he's always going to be your brother. There's nothing you can do about it. He's going to be, that is your brother. You can distance yourself from Adam and say, I'm not in Adam. He's always going to be your head. The law shows us we're guilty sinners. Where sin showed itself, where sin overflowed, Paul writes about this, grace abounded, but sin contaminated every fiber of our being. That's why we refer to total depravity. Do you know there's not a part of you that sin hasn't found its way into? That's why when Paul says, but grace did much more abound. Be thankful for the much more. Be thankful that there was something that could take care of or pay for what I was found to be guilty. The grace of God overflows in justification. That's why passages such as Colossians 1 verses 21 through uh, 22, if you can turn there quickly, you, if you can. If you can't keep up, that's okay. But Colossians 1 21 says this, that, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Grace has overflowed into our justification. It's also flowed into our regeneration. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans 8.1 when he makes this statement. He says that there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. And also in our sanctification are being conformed into the image of of Christ. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us when Paul writes that we are a new creature. He says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So many people believe that all that means, all that means is that we're going to live a better life. Contextually, it means much more than that. To be a new creature means, and this is direct, that representative head that was Adam has now been replaced as Christ as your head. Now what happens in Adam? All men die. What happens in Christ? All men that are in Christ live. Being a new creature and being a new creation does not mean that you just get up tomorrow and now all of a sudden you start living the quote-unquote five-star Christian life. We are so focused, so incredibly focused. It's not that it's not important. But there are people that are more concerned about that 
live a five-star Christian life instead of, am I still in Adam or am I in Christ? I know a lot of people that are five-star Christians who are still in Adam. And you, you, get what, you get my drift there. They're Christian in word and name only, but Christ is not, his righteousness has not been imputed to their account. They're still in Adam. Sin and sanctification, justification, regeneration, sin is the work of our earthly head, Adam. Redemption, justification, regeneration, sanctification is the work of our spiritual head, which is Christ. Now let's just finish with verse 21, and then what we're going to do next week is we're going to go back and fill in what we're leaving out today. So I hope you'll kind of keep these things in mind. I hate to break this up into two messages, but if I do this, we're going to get, we're going to get much deeper in this than, than, we have, than we really have time to do properly. Verse 21 says, or verse 20 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. The giving of the law increased guilt. But God's saving grace overcomes all of that for his people. Sin prevailed or sin reigned. Sin reigned in bringing death. Grace prevails to the extent that it brings eternal life through Christ. And look what he says in verse 21. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. The law came to show us the evil that we were by birth, the evil that we were by nature. Sin had such a controlling power over us that it is said to reign in death. Do you know what sin always results in? Death. Sin kills 100% of the time. Sin never brings life. You can't find anywhere where sin is depicted as bringing life biblically. What Paul is saying here is that sin had such dominion, such control, and such commanding power. Why? Because the subjects were voluntary to it. They accepted it. Why do we accept sin? Because we accept it. We're, it it's okay with us. Okay? It, it, because it, in Adam, that's our nature. Your sin nature is okay with that, with what it is. My sin nature is okay with sin. That's why there's still that part of you that it will not be killed and completely mortified until you get to glory. That's why there's still a part of you that still finds pleasure in sin. Andrew and I were talking about this Wednesday night. What's it mean to mortify the flesh? What's it mean to kill? What, is, what, what, is, what, what was Paul talking about? And, and, and Andrew and I talked about this, and it's, it literally means to cut it off. It means don't let it have dominion in you anymore. Before Christ, it had free reign in you because it had nothing else. Mortifying the flesh means you have to take intentional steps to kill it. But you're in Christ now. You're a new creature. Sin does not reign unto death anymore. But guess what? You've still got an old pesky sin nature still hanging around there. That's why all the sins you committed this past week, and you all did, and so did I, all those sins you committed, those are the result of that sin nature. And guess where that was placed? That was placed from all the way back in the fall when Adam fell. That's where you got it from. The immature believer says, well, that's Adam's fault then. No, biblically, it's your fault. You are held accountable for your own sin. A person who doesn't know Christ will stand before the Lord one day and say, well, I shouldn't have been held responsible for Adam's sin. How much weight do you think that's going to have with the judge? It will have nothing. Or if we stand before the Lord and we say, listen, had it not been for that woman, had it not been for that man, had it not been for that sibling who did all these things to me, I never would have sinned. It won't hold any weight at all. Because even if you had a perfect spouse, even if you had perfect children, even if you were placed in a perfect environment, such as a place called, where were Adam and Eve? 
it still, <laughs> it still would have entered into you. You could put a man in a room with nothing but padded walls, put him alone with his thoughts, and he'll still sin. He doesn't need an outside influence. People say this all the time. Well, it was that billboard that got me. <laughs> it's your sin nature that got you. Let's, let's blame the pornography companies. It's not, it's not that. Now, that doesn't mean you ought to go and say, well, okay, it's not that, so I'll just look at it. No, that's not what I'm telling you. And I think you all know what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is, is it's not a result of the outside defiling the body. It's what Jesus himself said. What defiles a man comes from the inside. He's talking about your sin nature. All those things do when you get yourself stumbling on those sin traps. It reminds you again of just how depraved and wicked you really are. And praise God for his glory and grace. Because if he'd have left me in this condition, I'd be on my way to hell right now. Instead of on my way to eternal glory. And now I know I can repent of this sin and he will forgive me. And I will live with a desire to turn away from this. That's the difference. Mortifying the flesh... You know, people have tried this for years. I, I was in the, that, that movement for so long. And, and I'm, I'm going to say this, and I don't mean to offend, but I was in that, that fundamental Baptist movement for so long that all I ever heard is, if you want to get victory over sin, is get rid of all these things. And it would be a common occurrence to have a bonfire and burn all the bad stuff. It would be a common occurrence to come to the altar and give it all over to God and these are teenagers. These are young people. They go to camp. They make these decisions. When I get home, I'm burning my, I'm burning my uh, back then, it was CDs. And believe it or not, it was cassettes. I, some of you are like, what's a cassette? I, we're burning, burn those things. Burn your Walkmans. Go home and just cut it off. And you get all these teenagers on fire. They get on their bus. And I'm telling you what, sitting there as a youth director, you're saying, boy, these kids have got it. Two weeks later, they're right back in the same spot they were, listening and watching the same thing they've been watching. You know why? Because what they're not dealing with the reality of what's really going on in that young person's heart and that adult's heart. This is not about just simply putting away the things outwardly. It is about what you really are. Well, you can't talk to young people that way. You'll scare them off. We need youth group numbers. No, you don't. You preach on stuff like this in a youth group, your youth group will be about two kids if you're lucky. They're like, when do we get the candy? My friend told me if I come, we get pizza and games. You've been preaching for five minutes now. You're not dealing with the right matter. You're dealing with all the outward problems. Guess what? You could burn everything you have in your house that's offensive, get in your car and drive, and you're going to be offended within two minutes. And if all you did was burn what was in your house, how are you going to deal with the billboard? How are you going to deal with what's coming up down the road? You're dealing with a nature, a sin nature issue. You're not just dealing with, let's just give it all the bad stuff. Look, I believe there's a lot of things that should be shut down. There's places that shouldn't be allowed to operate, if you ask me. But do you realize if you, sh if you shut down every adult bookstore and every adult website and all the pornography, you shut them all down, you're still going to have a problem with pornography because you're talking about the sinful heart of a person. Take, a, take all the bad stuff away and think, okay, if we, if we just could get rid of it all, we'd be so much better off. We, we will live in perfect harmony. No, you know why you'll never have perfect harmony here? Because you're always going to have people wandering around who are in their nature of sin because they all descend from Adam. We're fighting sometimes against the wrong thing. When Paul was talking about mortifying the flesh, I don't think he was talking so much about taking away all the outside influence. I think it's important. David said, I'll set no wicked thing before my eyes. I realize all that. You'd be a fool to say, well, I don't have to take things away because I'm working on the inside. <laughs> no, that shows you your level of maturity. You don't work on the inside and then leave the outside exposed. And I've gone off on a rabbit trail, but I think you know what I'm talking about here. These, these things... These things are not the result. They don't make us sinners. 
we do those things because we are sinners. There's a tremendous difference there. When we look at this next week, what I want you to do, if, if, if you're able, and I trust you'll take the time to do it, is what we're going to do. We tied verse 12 and then verse 18 through the end of the chapter, but there's a whole portion we haven't even talked about, which is between verses 13 and 17. And what that really is, is that's going to declare the power of sin. And it's going to declare to us more about what Paul's been talking about. But we've set the foundation here about Adam and those that are in Christ. And we'll see it how, how Paul uses these phrases and the law and how he provides these, com these comparisons between Adam representing all mankind and Christ representing his people. But folks, let's think about this morning as we bring this time to a close that Adam's transgression, Adam's sin is much more than just God said don't do it and he did it and Adam did a bad thing. Parents, when you teach your children, teach them more that this is more than a bad thing. Adam actually launched the entire world into sin. Every one of these Bible stories that you read is so much more than just the overall view they're trying to get you to see. There's something about Christ in all of them. There's something about sin, man's nature, God's goodness in them all. So I hope this will be a help to us and we'll continue this uh, next week.